the details of the following account were reported in the Chicago Tribune, September 8th, 1981. A woman whose ovaries ceased to function almost three years ago has given birth to a healthy nine pound baby girl, baffling doctors at three hospitals. It is impossible, impossible, the 35 year old woman quoted one of the doctors as saying when he dedicated a, detected a fetal heartbeat. In effect, the birth took place after the woman had gone through menopause, her doctor said. The woman had been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and was told she did not have to worry about getting pregnant. A further complication was that the woman was on hormone medications to ease the symptoms of menopause. These medications typically serve as effective contraceptives. Dr. Jerry Rakoff, director of the Scripps Clinic Medical Group's Fertility Center, had confirm confirmed the diagnosis of another physician, but was also the one who eventually discovered the patient was pregnant. Rakoff said near, neither he nor Dr. John Williams, uh, the university hospital physician who delivered the baby on August 18th, had ever heard of birth by a woman with a well-documented case of premature ovarian failure. Rakoff said that there was no medical therapy to reverse premature ovarian failure. He said that he and Williams believe an egg may have been left over uh, after the ovaries shut down. This is an example, this is an account of a woman who some 42 years ago, uh, her ovaries went into failure, premature failure, and yet several after that had happened, she got pregnant. And it made the news, it made headlines because uh, that shouldn't have happened. And today we are going to be looking at the birth of Isaac, which is a total miracle. We have been waiting for this promised child, uh, Abraham's son by Sarah, for 25 years they have been waiting. We've been waiting for 10 chapters, but they've been waiting for 25 years for Isaac, the promised child, to be born. And we're going to see that today. And it is a just a quick little thing. It's just like a statement. And this happened. Uh, but I want to emphasize today that it, it was a miracle. And we're going to talk about that. So before we dig into scripture, let's uh, dedicate this time to God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the miracles that you perform both large and small uh, with us today, but also for your covenant with Abraham and your promise to Sarah that she would have a son. Thank you for uh, making good on your promises. I, I ask that you will open the ears and the hearts uh, of the people that are listening and watching now and that you'll teach us something about your character through your word. We love you, Lord. Proud this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we are on Genesis 21. Uh, and my um, one of these commentaries uh, call this the promised child. And so that's what I've uh, dubbed this as well as the promised child, which I think is appropriate because as I said, we've been <laughs> Abraham and Sarah have been waiting a very long time uh, for Isaac to be born. So let's open up to Genesis 21, and we're going to read through uh, verse 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah will nurse a child? Nurse children, excuse me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 1 and 2, we see the word promised. And that's an appropriate word. God has been promising Abraham uh, that he is going to have a son. And Abraham has been faithful and believed the Lord. 
Now, we see in Genesis 12, the first promise of the son. It's not specifically said that you will have a son, but Genesis 12 is where we see the Abrahamic covenant in which God says, I will make you into mighty nation, meaning you will have many descendants. And then that promise is reaffirmed. Uh, and then in the more recent chapters that we've been reading, uh, God literally says, within a year's time, you will have a son and you will have a son through Sarah. So God has promised and he has delivered on that promise. Verse three, he names him Isaac. We've talked about this before. Isaac means he laughs. And that is an appropriate name because uh, both Abraham laughed when he first got the news that Sarah was gonna have a son and Sarah laughed when she got the news. And then uh, further down, we see that, that uh, God has brought me laughter. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Uh, Genesis 17, 17 is when God first tells Abraham and Abraham laughs. Though he still does believe that God is going to provide him with a son, he, he just laughs out of just like, really, when I'm this old and Sarah, who uh, has gone through menopause and is not able to have children anymore, really? Uh, and then in 1812, uh, Genesis 1812, we see Sarah laugh as well out of actual disbelief that, that, that it's actually gonna happen. Uh, and, and the reason why this is such a big deal is that not only has Sarah gone through menopause, but she's also, she was barren from the moment she and Abraham got married. She's been barren her entire life. She's never been able to conceive kids. So it's not even that, that her ovaries have, have shut down and are no longer working. It's that they never did before. And we don't know if it's because um, she wasn't able to produce eggs. Uh, we don't know what the medical condition was that made her barren. But those two things truly do make this a miracle. And those are also the reasons why uh, Sarah laughed in disbelief. Um, and the reason why God rebukes her at that moment. Um, but laughter, uh, he laughs. Uh, Isaac's name is uh, he laughs. Uh, then in uh, verse four, um, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. If you want to uh, hear a study on circumcision, Genesis 17, those have been following through, we talked all about circumcision. And the covenant of circumcision is an outward sign of God's covenant to Israel, to Abraham's descendants, to, to the, the um, blessing will be on those on Israel. Uh, and their, the outward sign is circumcision. And it was specifically said on the eighth day. And Paul was circumcised on the eighth day, uh, Saul, Paul. Uh, but then also Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, that's in Luke 2, 21. We see that Jesus was also circumcised on the eighth day in proper custom. It was outlined in the law, both in Genesis as well as Leviticus, that any boy that's born in your household needs to be circumcised on the eighth day. And Isaac was. I want to make a comparison now between two different promised children that are in the Bible. Isaac the promised child of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus, uh, the promised Messiah. Uh, and these illustrations are pretty easy to uh, uh, make. Uh, both were prophesied. Both were told uh, that their coming would happen. Uh, Isaac, in Genesis 12, 2, uh, God says to Abraham that I will make you into a great nation. That's 25 years before Isaac is born. Uh, his birth is prophesied. Now, as I said before, uh, God doesn't specifically say you are going to have a son, you're going to name him Isaac right then. He just says that you will have many descendants. I'll make you into a great nation. Jesus, uh, the prophecy of the coming Messiah, uh, there are hundreds of prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament that point to a coming Messiah. One of, I mean, I'm going to hit on Isaiah today, uh, but Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That was written by Isaiah, the prophet, some 800 years before Jesus would be born. So prophecy of the Messiah coming and being born in Bethlehem of a virgin. Um, the Jews were waiting for the promised child, for the Messiah, for Jesus to be born. Uh, number two, God told the mother before the child was conceived. Sarah was told she was going to have a son in Genesis 18.10. That's more than a year before, Jesus, before uh, Isaac was born. Uh, 
and it's an angel. We don't know who of the three. There's two angels and either God or Jesus, either Theophany or Christophany. Um, and one of the three says, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now that is said to Abraham, but Sarah is in the tent listening in and this is where she first hears of it and this is also where she laughs. So Sarah heard the news one year before he was born. So before he was conceived, Sarah uh, was told she was gonna have a son. Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, was told in Luke 1, uh, 30 through 33, the angel uh, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. That's another point. Both of the children were named by God before they were conceived. Um, right here, uh, Mary is told that you shall call him Jesus. And in Genesis 17, 19, Abraham is told that you shall call the boy Isaac. Uh, number three, both mothers' uh, conception was miraculous. Uh, only through the work of the Holy Spirit was the child actually conceived. And as I said before, with Sarah, not only had she gone through menopause, which we know that from Genesis 18, 11, uh, but also she had been barren her entire life. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had tried to conceive and were not able to. Uh, it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle uh, that she was able to conceive and only God could have made that happen. Also with Mary, the virgin birth. Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus and when she um, got pregnant. Uh, this was also prophesied some 800 years before Jesus was born. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall name him Emmanuel. That is God with us. Number four, both fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, which this is an interesting one, both fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. And so the covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 12 and then reaffirms in 15 and then gives the sign of that in 17, we've been talking about it over and over again. Isaac is the very first fulfillment of that in the sense of becoming a great nation through Sarah. But Jesus is the answer, the ultimate answer. Uh, Genesis 12, 3, all people on earth will be blessed through you. That is Jesus. Jesus was a Jew of, uh, of Abraham. And that's the reason why uh, Matthew, at the beginning of his gospel, outlines the genealogy uh, all the way um, dating back through Abraham and David, fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah. So both Jesus and Isaac fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. You could even say, um, in fact, I want to flip there, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'll give you a second to get there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The first half of this verse actually could apply. Abraham and Sarah could actually say these words, uh, and they could have been applied. Now, Isaiah is um, a good deal of time after Abraham. This is a prophecy of Jesus. But for, unto, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That could apply to both Jesus and Abraham. Now, as I said, this is uh, a prophecy of the Messiah. Then continuing on, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That obviously is only applicable to the Messiah, and that was fulfilled by Jesus some 800 years after it was written. One of the things that I want to point out, <clears throat> as you study the Bible more and more, uh, you realize God loves to work in impossible scenarios. Uh, and this is one of those, is, is that it's not just that Sarah was old, it was that she was barren. She'd been barren her entire life. It was impossible on two different levels uh, for the child to be born. And that's where God waited. God waited so that it would be no question whatsoever that it wasn't something else. It was God alone who, who caused this. And there are many, many illustrations of this in the Bible. The one that I want to hit on is one of my favorites, and it's the story of Gideon. Uh, so let's flip over to Judges uh, chapter 7. So leave uh, uh, your finger here or place marker here in Genesis 21 and flip over to Judges 7. So Judges 7, um, this is taking place um, some 700, 800 years later. So um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, then you have... Um, 
Israel as a nation, as a people going into Egypt and being um, enslaved in Egypt. Uh, they're there for 400 years, uh, and then they get freed through Exodus, God uh, miraculously through all the plagues, etc. Um, then the part of the Red Sea, and then they wander around, and then they return to the Promised Land. Now we are in the period of the Judges, and this is where uh, Israel is in the Promised Land. They're in Canaan, uh, but we are seeing um, the Midianites, the uh, Amalekites, uh, invaders from the east are attacking, and the people of Israel uh, cry out to God uh, uh, because of these invaders from the east, and God raises up Gideon uh, as a judge. And so uh, we pick it up on Judges 7, uh, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So Midian was this uh, mighty, mighty, mighty army. The, the soldiers of Midian, in fact, um, the Bible says, Judges 7, 12, the foe was as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore could be counted. It's this horrible host that's come to annihilate Israel. And this is on the, uh, the, the eve of battle, so to speak. Gideon is assessing the situation. And God looks out at his military, his army, and says, yeah, you got too many. Now, at this time, and you'll see an explanation if you keep reading on, uh, Gideon has 32,000 soldiers. 32,000 against, we don't know how many. I have no idea how many were uh, with the Midian forces, but their camels were more numerous than the sand of the seashore. Okay, so a lot. I would wager that even at 32,000, Gideon was outnumbered, heavily outnumbered. And God says, no, you have way too many. Uh, picking up on verse three. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave uh, Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. So he started with 32 and now he only has 10,000 remaining because 22 left. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. And you can read this for yourself for the account. Uh, but the point being is, is that God whittles down Gideon's forces to the extent that he only has 300 men from 32,000 to 300. Why? Why does God do this? He says it right here uh, in verse 2. Or Israel would boast against me, my own strength has saved me. If they go 32,000 against, let's say it's 50,000, they won the day. They were strong. They were triumphant because of their own strength. They were outnumbered, but they still won. And God says, no, 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 no. You got to use a lot less than this because I alone am the one who is going to perform a miracle. I am the one who is going to save you uh, from Midian. And the thing that I find so interesting is that my Bible, the heading in my NIV, says Gideon defeats the Midianites. And I have actually crossed out Gideon and put in God. I just think that's funny. The chapter headings are added by men. That, that, they're added way after. They're not inspired. Same thing with the chapter markers uh, and the uh, verses. Those were added after just for ease of use. And this title, Gideon Defeats the Midianites, goes straight up against what God's trying to do. Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Was it Gideon? Was it Gideon that saved him? No, it was God. Little tangent, but I love that story. You can read it on for yourself uh, in Judges 7. God loves to work in the impossible. Okay, let's keep reading. Back in Genesis 21, picking it up on verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on uh, her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of uh, Birer Sheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a, a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there. She began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and be became an archer. When he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. We'll pause there and dig into this. Okay, so uh, let's go through this, hitting on a few different points. Uh, verse 8, the child grew up and was weaned. Historians believe um, that that happens somewhere between two and three years old based on uh, uh, biology of when you wean the child. So it's somewhere between two and three years old. Um, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. It's at that feast that Sarah witnesses Isaac making fun of his half-brother, excuse me, Ishmael, Ishmael making fun of his half-brother Isaac. Now, the word I have in my NIV is mocking. I looked up other translations, and, and you might have uh, laughing, scoffing, making fun of, and those all and of themselves are not that bad. So Sarah's response, get rid of that slave woman and her son, seems rather harsh, but the beauty of the Bible, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, and we have in... Um, Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul actually references this exact scene. So why don't we flip there to Galatians chapter 4. I'll give you a second to get there. Galatians 4, uh, verse 28. Galatians 4, 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. Now, this is rather cryptic, but it's easy to understand what he's saying here. The son born according to the flesh, that is Ishmael, born according to the flesh, Sarai thought that she was not able to conceive. And so in order to fulfill the promise, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, she was the one who came up with the idea of Abraham uh, using her handmaiden, her slave Hagar, to continue the family line. And as we discussed, that was common uh, for the culture of that day. It was, it, it's not as crazy as it sounds. But that child was born out of the flesh. Uh, Sarah did not wait on the Lord, and Abraham we don't know if Abraham uh, sought God's counsel in that or not, but uh, Paul here says that as a child born of the flesh, that is Ishmael. The son born according to the flesh is Ishmael. The son born by the power of the spirit, there's no question, that is Isaac. There's no other way he would have been born. Here we have the word persecuted. So Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and we get that because Paul says it in Galatians 4. So let's flip back. So we don't know what he did. We don't know if he threatened his life or if he was just poking fun at him. We know from Paul's context in Galatians that it was severe, that it was persecution. That is a very harsh word. But regardless, we know that Sarah was unwilling for the two to live together, um, for Hagar and Sarah or Ishmael and Isaac to coexist Isaac at this point is actually 14 years old. He's a teenager. 
and Ish, uh, excuse me, I keep confusing, I keep switching those names. Ishmael is 14 years old. Isaac is two to three years old. And so Sarah says, get rid of them. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. They will have no part in the blessing. Uh, this is actually quite similar to um, the conflict that we saw between Lot and Abraham uh, in Genesis 13, in which Lot's uh, shepherds were having conflict with Abraham's, and so they had to part ways because they had both grown. Um, it's similar. It's not the same, but it is similar in the sense that they could no longer coexist. Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. You have to keep in mind Ishmael's 14 years old, and up until this point, up until he was 13, Abraham believed that Ishmael was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, that he was the son that would become a mighty nation. I would argue that Ishmael was loved in Abraham's camp. He was Abraham's son. Um, no doubt, as the only child, he was doted on like crazy. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, he has to make this horrible decision. And it's not until God actually says, um, God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. And then we have again on verse 18, I will make him into a great nation. We discussed this before. Who are Ishmael's descendants? Those are the Arabs that exist today. The Arab nation look to Ishmael as their father. They are descendants of Abraham and they as a nation are blessed, as a people group are blessed because of their association with Abraham. And God says that, I will make them into a mighty nation. I will bless them because of that. So Abraham feels this release to be able to, to follow Sarah's desire to send them away. There's three promises that are given uh, Genesis 16:10, 17:20, uh, and 21:18 all literally say a mighty nation or a great nation that the Arabs would become, the Ishmaelites would become. That's a, another promise from God that He makes good on. Uh, verse 14 through 16, um, the boy. Now this is mentioned several times. Uh, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and gave it to Sarah. Uh, he sent them on the shoulders and then set off with the boy. Uh, when the water of the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. Question for you. When you are picturing this in your head as Hagar sets the boy under the bushes and walks away, a bow shot away, so she doesn't have to listen to the screaming of the, the child who is um, dying from dehydration, how old did you picture the child? I've read this many times and every time I, I read it, I see a baby, I see a young little child because we're talking about Isaac, who's two to three years old. And so in my head, that's what I think. You gotta keep in mind, he was 14 years old. He was a young teenager. And I think if you just skim through it really fast, we put that there, but he was a young teenager. But still, he was Abraham's son and the probably spoiled, uh, probably well taken care of. And just from a biological standpoint, uh, someone who eats well and constantly has water and hasn't uh, experienced a harshness in the same way that a slave would like Hagar, um, Ishmael's gonna die of dehydration before Hagar does. And that's what's happening here. But God steps in. God steps in, the angel of the Lord, verse 17, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him um, for I will make him into a great nation. The angel of God, as we, we've discussed before, this is, um, it could be one of three things. It could literally just be an angel uh, it could be God speaking through an angel, um, or it could be Christ. There are some who believe every time the term the angel of God is actually referring to a Christophany uh, or a, a pre-incarnate uh, Christ. So it is possible. I don't know. I don't know. But there's different theories on that. So it could very well have been Christ that said, um, 
what is the matter? Do not be afraid. I will make him into a great nation. And then um, several times there's this whole interaction where God provides. God provides her with water. Uh, Ishmael then uh, does not die of dehydration and grows up, becomes an archer. Um, Mom takes care of him, finds a wife for him from her people down in Egypt, uh, and he becomes a mighty nation. Before we go on to verse 22, I want to pause for a moment. This right here, uh, chapter 21, verse 8 through 21, is the first mention of a single mom in history. It is the first account of a single mom. What a harsh situation that Hagar goes through. Step back for me, uh, with me for a second and just put yourself in Hagar's position. She's a slave in Egypt. We do not know if she was born in slavery. Uh, slavery was not simply the, something that was racial back then. Uh, you could become a slave. You could be born into slavery, meaning that, that your parents were slaves and owned by someone, and then you were born, and then you were part of that household. Uh, it also could have happened that um, there was a battle and your village uh, was conquered and rather than kill you, they made you slaves of the, the uh, conquering people, which totally could have happened with um, Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, then the other option is, is that it's possible that Hagar's parents um, were very, very poor and could not afford to keep all of their children alive so, it's, so that not all of them starved. They sold her into slavery. All of those are potentials. Not a, a great start to life. Then we see um, in Genesis 12 is likely when Hagar is given as a possession to Abraham, this foreigner from the north. She then travels up uh, to Canaan. Um, she is given the assignment of being a handmaiden to the matriarch, to Sarai, this barren woman who can't have children. But things do look good, uh, presumably. This is me putting this here, but the relationship between Sarah and Hagar must have been good to some extent that Sarai, Sarah, uh, says, you know what, Abraham, why don't you uh, have a child through Hagar, through my handmaiden, so that your line can continue, so that God's promise can be fulfilled. So we know that the relationship must have been good enough that Sarai proposes this. So Hagar's in the situation where she is now put uh, in an amazing situation where a slave is now going to be the mother of the heir of the, the family, of the mighty nation that is becoming um, the, the, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, right? So that's great. That's good. She becomes pregnant. And as soon as she becomes pregnant, her mistress gets bitter and starts mistreating her. And Hagar has enough and she runs away. She runs away and she runs back home. She's on her way back to Egypt, all on her own, no doubt in tears, in a horrible place, pregnant, not knowing what she's going to do. She's a runaway slave. And God appears and, and says, no, I will take care of you. I will make your family, your son's descendants will be a mighty nation. So she returns and she has the son. She has Ishmael then things seem to, to settle down, right? We don't hear anything about it until Ishmael's 14 years old. And then all of a sudden, a miracle happens and your mistress, who's settled and everything seems to be good because your son is the promised son and the heir, uh, all of a sudden, this miracle happens and your mistress gets pregnant and has a son. Now the tensions begin again and she starts to mistreat you again. And we see the child have conflict, right? So your son, your Hagar, your son Ishmael uh, starts to have conflict. He's obviously jealous because Ishmael was the chosen one, the chosen child. Now all of a sudden there's this other son that now is the heir. Uh, and so you see conflict happen between your son Ishmael and your mistress's son Isaac. And then your mistress says, this is it. I've had enough. Get rid of them. And then this, this household that you've served for so long gives you 
this part I don't understand is that Abraham doesn't even give her like a cart and a donkey, uh, a, a colt or, or, or a horse or a camel or anything. Literally gives her what she can carry, a skin of water and provisions that she can carry and sends her off. This is horrible. What a, a bad situation that Hagar is put in. And then uh, the same situation that happened before, uh, she's heading uh, south and God intervenes and protects her and says, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. And we'll come back to this, but this is my takeaway for the single moms that are out there. Um, God's compassion and heart for you is there, is strong. He knows what you're going through. And we see in Hagar this, she's had a really, really hard life. And there are many women, uh, perhaps some that are listening to this right now, that can relate to Hagar in the uh, hard knocks that, that you have experienced. And you can relate to Hagar in this, in this situation, this really hard situation that she's had been put through. Continuing on. Let's continue on. I, I could camp out on this for a long time, but I want to uh, make sure that we don't uh, spend too much time here. Um, for further study, you can actually read uh, Galatians chapter 4, the second half of it. Uh, we cited uh, uh, the reference in uh, the Apostle Paul saying uh, persecuted uh, was what Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. But if you read that whole uh, chunk from verse 21 of chapter 4 through 31 of Galatians, you see the Apostle Paul use an illustration and paint this picture of Hagar being um, the uh, embodiment of the old covenant and Sarah being the embodiment of the new covenant and this juxtaposition between um, the slave, the being held captive to the law, the old covenant, and that uh, Sarah is representation of the freedom and the new covenant and the blessings of God found in Jesus Christ. Uh, you can do that study for yourself, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. I suggest you um, read it and check it out. Okay, Genesis 21, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech, and Philcol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard it about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs of the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves. He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Be'er Sheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Be'er Sheba, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Be'er Sheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Okay, let's dig into this. Uh, first of all, we see Abimelech question um, Abraham and his honesty. Why do you think that is? Why on earth would uh, Abimelech have any reason to distrust Abraham? Well, we talked about that in Genesis 20 and Sister Act Part 2, in which Abraham was dishonest uh, and told Abimelech that Sarah was his sister. And because of that, Abimelech and his whole household uh, were not able to have children. Um, 
and there, I mean, watch last week, we spoke all about it. Um, and Abimelech, thankfully, God intervened um, on Abraham's behalf and protected the covenant and prevented Abimelech from actually sleeping with Sarah, but it's understandable. Abimelech was was very upset at what Abraham had done, understandably so. And then uh, we see him bless Abraham, and now they've been living together for a period. And Abimelech says, uh, "Make an oath to me, swear it uh, that you will show me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you." It's understandable why Abimelech questioned Abraham and wanted an oath. And we see this town, this location. At this point, it's not a town, it's just a spot. Birer Sheba is named after this covenant, this agreement that uh, King Abimelech has with Abraham. We've discussed it before. Abimelech is just simply a title, uh, same as Pharaoh or Caesar, that likely was not his actual name. Uh, that's the same idea of uh, Ficol, P-H-I-C-O-L, uh, uh, that's mentioned twice here in uh, uh, in these passages. That actually is probably a title similar to commander uh, or lieutenant or something along those lines. Could be the guy's name. We don't know. Um, now, the significance of the ewe lambs, uh, I didn't know what this meant. A ewe lamb is a female, a young female lamb. So it is a baby sheep, but a female, which means it's more valuable than the males because the females act, the more females you have, you can have one male and multiple females and your flocks will grow rapidly um, because they're able to give birth. So it's very valuable. You see here, Abraham, there's a conflict over this well uh, and Abraham shows uh, good character being upstanding. And he says, this was my well, uh, your servants have taken possession of it, but he pays him for it. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you the value of these seven female lambs as a testament to the fact that it is mine uh, and, and it belongs to me. Uh, but here you go. I'm going to make good because you thought it was yours, whatever. We're going to be good. And they, they then uh, make this oath, this promise. Be'er Sheba uh, is the location of this well. Um, then the last thing that we're going to hit on is the uh, tamarisk tree. I looked this up and the tamarisk tree um, grows well in sand. Um, it is common for that area. It is deciduous. Uh, it can grow more than 20 feet tall. This would have been an outstanding uh, um, resource for shade for the shepherds, uh, but also as uh, a resource um, uh, for timber, uh, etc. Some cultures considered the tamarisk tree a holy tree. Um, some see what Abraham does here as a sign of a, uh, um, the same idea as building an altar to the Lord as a call out to, the, to God for his provision. Um, and we see God providing and we see uh, Abraham um, praising God and planting this tree in tribute to God. So that wraps up chapter 21. Uh, we're going to continue next week into 22 as Abraham gets tested. Uh, and this is a big test that I don't think many fathers would be able to uh, pass the test that Abraham goes through. But before uh, we wrap up, there's two things that I want to hit on. And the first one is we see in seven verses a miraculous sign, a miracle. Isaac is born. And I think this is my fifth or sixth time saying this. Sarah was barren. She wasn't able to have children. She's, a, uh, she's 90 years old. She's gone through menopause. This is not possible. But God works in the impossible. But here's the thing. How often do we see miracles happen on a day-to-day -day basis, whether they're small or large, and we just pass them off. What I'm getting at is, is that uh, faith has never come through miracles. As you study Jesus and his miracles, 
Faith brought people in, excuse me, not faith. Uh, the miracles brought people in. The miracles brought the crowd, but no one ever believed because of the miracles. In my personal life, I have had miracles happen where I fall on my knees and I praise God and I say, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you for providing. Thank you for this miracle. This was clearly you. You did this. And I'm sure uh, the Christ followers out there can attest to the same thing. On a personal note, my sister got breast cancer. At a young age, she got breast cancer. And I know both, both my sister as well as my whole family were on our knees praying to God like we never had before, especially her and her family. Uh, she's a, a mother of four. Uh, and what a, what a traumatic thing to go through. And those prayers were fervent. And over a period of time, she went through uh, um, the, the process, had a dual uh, uh, vasectomy, uh, went through chemotherapy, went through all of that, lost her hair. There's many, many women who can relate to this. And she still to this day is cancer-free now. And I praise God for that. But the, the, the question is, was that a miracle? Was that a miracle or was that just science? Was that just modern medicine that healed her body? I would argue that it was a miracle. Whether you, you see it as a miracle of God engineering uh, science and God giving us the brains to be able to come up with the ways of chemotherapy, etc. But God answered that prayer. I fully believe that. The point that I'm getting at is, is that the urgency of my prayers for her were fervent and were adamant in that moment when we didn't know what the outcome would be. But two years after, she's cancer-free, and now I think we're at like eight to 10 years. 10 years now, she's cancer-free. I don't thank God every day for that because there's other problems. There's other things that have gone on, and I guarantee you, um, Everybody who's experienced a miracle on some level, you know what I should do? I should actually write them down. And I've said this before. Uh, I need to make a journal that is just all the times, big and small, where something happens that God alone could have provided it. So my takeaway here, uh, just praise God in those moments where a miracle happens. God is so quiet about the miracles. We just see seven verses for this miracle that happened. Uh, and it's just so small and insignificant in the Bible, but it's such a huge thing that happened. The second thing that I want to hit on that is the big takeaway uh, for me in this is God's love for single mothers. You see it here in God's provision for Hagar, who, as I said before, what a tough deal. What a tough deck of cards she was dealt. If you are in a similar situation where you have been dealt a very, very difficult hand, know that God loves you. God is there with you. And God, God is hearing your cries. And God is going to provide. We are not promised a good life. We are not promised riches and wealth. In fact, uh, it's quite the opposite, is, is that you are promised that you will be persecuted. If you are a Christ follower and you hold strong on that, you're going to face challenging times. And it is through persecution, it is through challenges that we grow. So going through whatever you're going through, whatever that hard time is, you will be stronger because of it. Take that and, and, and take that as some solace of knowing that this life, you will have trouble, but God is with you. And God loves you. And who knows what is going to happen uh, and how God might actually bless people through your sons and daughters that you are sacrificing so much and working so hard for. Being a mother is one of the, the, the largest callings, biggest callings, most significant callings that a human can have is to sacrifice for their children. So as we wrap up, in what way can you help a mother that is uh, a single mother or a single father for that matter? Think on that, pray on that. Who do you know 
that is facing a burden that's stronger than the one that you're facing? And what can you do to be the hands and the feet of God to show God's blessing on that individual? Think on that, pray on that, discuss that as a small group of what can you do to help? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I pray right now for those mothers, those single mothers and single fathers that are raising children right now on their own and the hardship that they're going through. I pray, Lord, that they will feel your love wrap around them like a warm blanket, like a gigantic hug, that they will feel the security and the knowledge that though they do not know where the finances are gonna come from and they don't know how they're gonna endure one more day of whatever it is that they're going through, I pray, Lord, that they will find comfort and solace in you, that you will wrap them up in your love and that they will get the strength to continue to endure to invest into those children, to that child that they have, and to sacrifice for that child. Lord, if there is someone who's listening to this right now who's pregnant, who's contemplating different options, who says, there's no way I can endure this. I don't have the means. I don't have the ability. It's not convenient. I simply can't deal with this right now and is contemplating abortion. I pray, Lord, that you will put it on their heart to realize the outcomes of that are humongous and that they need to trust in you and your provision for that life in realizing that you are the God of miracles and that through this hardship, a miracle can happen. And that though they feel that they can't deal with this and that it's an impossible task, it is possible because of you because of your love and because of your provision that you will provide for whatever needs that they have and that that is your child and that you are gonna bless them and you're gonna bless that child through them. You love us. You especially love your unborn children. Thank you, Lord, for that love. Thank you for this story and this illustration of Hagar, this woman who existed, who went through this so that the moms, the single moms out there or the would-be moms that are contemplating this decision that shouldn't even be one, that they would be strengthened by Hagar's story and that they see your provision through that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, read ahead as Abraham is called to make uh, an amazing sacrifice by God for this chosen child that he's waited 25 years for. I love you guys. Have a phenomenal week. And we'll see you next time.